July 11, 2020. It's the Watt from Pedro Show.
Thank you. 
Saturday, second Saturday for July. We got bright sky July here in Pedro. In fact, it's going to be 80 degrees, which probably means where Perk is in the valley, it's over 100. Tomorrow, too, I think they're going to, but not too sweaty. I mean, it is July, summertime. Brother, uh, we're in quitting quarantine mode. Brother Matt's at the Love Grotto three miles south of here. But I'm not totally man alone because of incredible genius invention Skype software with those programmers in Estonia. I got Rob Moss with me. You're calling, uh, talking to me from Portland, right, Rob? I'm in Portland, yeah. Yeah, because the last time I saw you in person was actually Memphis, and you gave me your book. Actually, <laughs> no, the last time I saw you was here in Portland. You were playing with Tav Falco, Panther Burns. Yeah, but you gave me, no. Uh, but I did send you my book, which yeah, takes place yeah, in Memphis. Yeah, about Memphis. Yeah. But we were recording. We were recording a Christmas record. Yeah. We went, yeah, we went into a club one of the nights. Me and Larry, Larry uh, Mullins was on the drums. I, I know, but I wasn't there. You sure? I'm positive. I wish I was. I, th- I think you were there. We were <laughs> rapping and shit. It's called Descend in Memphis, Descend in the book. But you didn't give me at the time it came in the mail. Anyway, That's right. we'll get into that fucking writing shit later. Uh, I want to talk about your music journey, though. And we should uh, tell people what we started with. Uh, John, John Coltrane was with Ma- uh, Miles Davis doing Freddie Freeloader. Got my ass stuck in a tree from your new record, Rob Moss and Skin Tight Skin. Rob, tell me your earliest musical recollection. Uh, prob- I was probably five or six, and my, my dad played classical music, you know, records, you know, Hall of the Mountain King, Peter and the Wolf, you know, there's like visual stuff, but... I, you know, a little bit later, you know, I was seven, 1970. I, I listened to, you know, Top 40, WPGC, put, you know, cassette deck up against the radio. You know, Indiana Wants Me, Rainy your, Night in Georgia. Your earliest you know, music memory is your pop playing classical 
Yeah. And that one was like kind of for kids, right? Because they tell the story every Yeah, instrument. the Peter and the Wolf. It's That's great. That's what I'm saying. A, every cool. instrument is, a, or a character in the story is an instrument. Exactly. Yeah, something like that. I love that And And uh, interesting. Uh, what, well, was there shit, were they just listeners? I mean, where was this? Uh, um, in Maryland, outside Washington, D.C. Okay. at that time. So, were they players or just listeners? My mom played piano. So there's a piano but, in the living room? Yeah, that's it. Now, did you get put on lessons? I, I, had, I played coronet in, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade elementary school, and I, it was, I was terrible, and, and I, 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 I quit. I didn't no, stick I mean, it out. about the piano. Did you have piano? Oh, no, I, I, I didn't. I because did not. we have a lot of people on the show who had piano. And it could be like a really lame experience. So that's why I was asking. Yeah. No, I had and that with cornet. It seems the consensus is the teacher. And the teachers, they can make it either happening or not happening. That's <clears throat> if I like took a tally of all the piano lesson experiences. But I was going to ask you about school. So you... Your, your school had music classes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you'd be surprised how many don't. I, I'm aware. It That's sucks. why Flea got that Silver Lake Conservatory going, because he went back mm -hmm. to uh, Fairfax High, and yeah, there was no mu music. You know, where you learned trumpet, right? Right. So I asked about that, but they, you were in what? Coronet is like a bigger trumpet. So were you no, in like the a smaller band? trumpet. It's like the, the small one. And they kind of said, oh, it's great for kids because, you know, you got small fingers. So this little. Oh, know, cornet's but... got less tubing? Yeah. Okay, because the big cornet player when I was younger that was popular was Chuck Mangione. Oh, I think that's a. Yeah, I know. I remember what you're talking about. And I think, I think that's a cornet, and it has more. I think it has a little more tubing. That's a, is that a coronet or is that something else? Or maybe I played something else and I thought it was a coronet. <laughs> what I played was like a small trumpet. Well, you know, there's a bugle, right? But it has no vowels. That, correct. And that's probably got the less tubing. Because that's, right, the length of the tubing is how low you can go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you got to do it all with your lips. Well, I think it is with the lips anyway, but I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, uh, like, your fundamental. For example, with the saxophones, right? There's a soprano, a tenor, alto, right. baritone. There's a huge motherfucker you have to play on a ladder. It's a step ladder. <laughs> yeah, Brother Steve in the Stooges told me about, with the Violent Femmes, they rented one for him. Or they had some kid play, bring one to a gig. Or, I mean, it's huge. But you can kind of stay in the same timber. That's why a string bass... And a violin are kind of exactly the same, except, uh, you know, relative size. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, all notes aren't created equal. We would like to think so. But even on my bass guitar, uh, which is only a four-string one, there's there's three A places you could play the low A. Mm -hmm. No, there isn't. There's two places. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's two places, and they sound different. The, the high A, I think there's like three places and they're all different yeah because of, well, you're dealing with more than one string and it's different part of the neck and but uh, it's i think they call the shit timber like when a log falls anyway so you didn't do good so you quit yeah and then i, I didn't how, play anything for how, quite a while yeah but how long did you try oh like maybe at least a year maybe two okay were you was it on your own volition or, or 
did the professor suggest? I, I think we, at that time, like, you know, pretty much everyone in elementary school had to learn to play an instrument. No, I mean to quit. Oh, no, I think on my own. I think I said, okay, I, get, I gave it a year. I gave it two years. Well, I'm asking you because my music teacher, after 10 weeks of hearing me try it on the clarinet, said, you try hard, Watt, but, you know, you should really think about stop wasting uh, your time, my time, and they looked at the class our time. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh man. shit. Yeah, it was. Uh, what, like, when's the last time you? Uh, I never. Took when's the last another, time you speak with him? I, his, Mr. Luna. Well, it was seventh grade, so I was twelve. Okay. Yeah. But I never took another music class after that. They got him at D Boone just a couple months before that. That's one of the reasons why you know because his mother wanted me to play bass. So wow, this music thing. Okay, I'll try this. <laughs> so I was just curious on your experience, Rob. So yeah, well, I had a similar thing. I had a friend who said, "Man, you should learn to play bass or some other instrument." Once you know, once we got older, like you know, end of junior high school into high school, that's really when it began again for me, for real. Yeah, what guitar? Bass first. Oh, bass first. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I'm working on the mind reading, but I still got to use words. <laughs> So the bass, what was your first bass? I had a Fender Precision. Wow, that's a good one. That's the only bass I ever owned, that one bass. Yeah, you never had to get a shitty one to start off on, huh? to build up the muscles? Will you no, it was, it, was, it was used. I got to deal with it at, you know, Venomans Music. Well, probably Bill. when it comes to Fender P basses, a used one's probably better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends, I guess, on the shape. But what I'm talking sure. about is like the action the first yeah. bass I had was a K, K-A-Y, uh -huh. and man, you could stick your arm between the frets and the strings. Yeah, it was tough. So what was the first amp? What was the first what? A-M-P. The first A-M-P. That spells amp. Which oh, is my first amp, amp, man, I'm sorry. Uh, I had a, uh, a son, I can't remember which one it was. Um, and a cabinet with, you know, what, four, spe four speakers. We replaced them at one point when I was an artificial piece. I don't remember what we put in there, like Black Widows, something like that, I think. Does that make any sense? It's been so long. I don't remember. It had 412s? I Maybe. Know, that, I know, yeah, I know some sunboxes had 215s. Well, what the, the box itself, the, you know, the cabinet wasn't a sun. I don't remember what was on that. I know the the, uh, the amplifier itself was a was a son. Okay. But I, I don't, it was like a no name cabinet. Like John Atwood played Sun Coliseums. I think that's what you're hearing on Live at Leeds. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, you're hearing him. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the amplification. I, think oh, I know, I know. Yeah, he he, he I could think, play uh, anything and it would sound awesome. I think, uh, God, who else played that? I mean, they, you know, the big bass amp. It was of course the SVTs, but some there were some people played those, and and uh, in those days, um, uh, you know, because the PA at the gigs at Arena Rock was mainly for the singing, so that's why when you see pictures of those gigs, there's buttloads of amps on the stage. They're 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 on the power of the, yeah, pretty fucking sound uh, lame sound anyway. You know, I want to play something off your new. Uh, you know, I saw this lady open up for Alice Cooper, uh, Susie Quattro, and she had a song called 48 Crash. And we're going to play from your new record, No 48 Crash.
I can smell my piss I can taste my food I can catch my breath Guess I'm doing good
show that was no 48 crash rob moss skin tight skin and b jones brand new korea south korea stone to sand the james rocket brand new they haven't had music in a while but uh boccaccio james rocket maya from the city monkey nose few a song for the chihuahua bond uh holy Bulsara from Pat Smear's second solo record. Love Pat Smear. Dietrich and Barnes and John Dietrich from Deerhoof. Uh, with uh, Out and About, Tim Barnes, great drummer man, living in Louisville. I think John's in Berkey. And then him with uh, Deerhoof and Wada Leo Smith doing Flower Live. Rob Moss, Skin Tight Skin with Tony Alba's Pictures. I grew up... When I moved from the Navy housing here in Pedro to Park Western Estates, Estates, uh, next door neighbor was Tony Alva. So this probably ain't him. I uh, know. I'm talking about Tony Alva in, in Dogtown, Santa Monica. It's probably the tall guy that uh, skates. The skater. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he was a bass player. And uh, ended up with uh, clothes, independent. You know that he's in a couple bands. I can't remember the names of them, but he was one of the kind of connects between uh, kind of punk and skating. In, in the uh, and then I, he was at a Stooges gig in Florida at that uh, Art Basel thing and skating on cans. You know what cans are? Uh, containers. You got them there in Portland. Yeah, I, th- uh, uh, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, there's 20s and 40s. 53s are on the semi-trucks. They use those one way. on, But the, the way... Uh, like in the old days, they used pallets. And before that, they, they used uh, barrels. But the more modern way of moving shit around is with these containers. Uh, we call them cans. And that's the main work in Pedro, right? Long short. And I know they mm-hmm. do that in Portland. So Tony Alva was skating on these fucking... They made the skating thing with cans. It was a trip on the beach. And the Stooges played right after that. It got dark, and we played in front of the cans that Tony was skating. He's always been very kind to me. So that was cool. To, but I did grow up next to a guy named Tony and Dennis Alva, his older brother. Martin Tony was twins, maybe fraternal. And then Dennis... Him and Ray Bernard, another Pedro guy, they're the first guys to really get me into Black Sabbath when I was like, you know, 12, 13. That's why I moved there. So I owe those guys. In those days, 
there'd be the guy a couple years older who painted his bedroom black and had uh, posters with the ultraviolet purple light and play stuff like Paranoid and First Black Sabbath album and stuff like that. And so I, I got to give respect to those guys because they got me going to their way. That that in eight tracks with the Columbia, right? You send in a dime and they send you ten, eight tracks. And then they start sending you one every month. And if right, it's the club. If you don't send it back, you have to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so funny. When I signed to Columbia, part of the contract is they get to sell so many of your records at really kind of price for the, that club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you get on base. Not, not, if you got on base and you probably got into the shit about after school with the bedroom band or the garage or basement band. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, I mean... Well, i got to ask I, you about it again. My mind-reading skills are kind of... Oh, crazy. yeah. Well, uh, Brian Gay, who was actually the first bass player on Government Issue, and I started writing songs you know, before the GIs started. Um, that's like 1979. There was no Discord at that point, no Teen Idols. There was an album called 30 Seconds Over DC, which is like a this compilation album. So we were taking our cues from that because there was... No all-ages shows, or at least very few. So to go in to see a club, someone had to sneak you in. Well, what about so, shit like uh, Root Boy Slim? Yeah, well, that's the thing. We, we couldn't see the, a lot of those bands. Yeah, they, they were, were kind of from another... Venues that would card you. But they also kind of was from another... Yeah, I remember reading team. about this band in Cream Magazine called The Good Rats. Yep. And it, it reminds me of that kind of stuff, you know? Sure. Because club culture kind of got lost with arena rock, right? Oh, absolutely. It's two different things. And right, with but I think in the 60s, and I was too young, but 125 months with the Stooges, club culture was huge in the 60s. Right? Oh, yeah. And it kind of went away, yeah. So we, I had, my friend Mark Alberstadt, he was, he was the first drummer in Government Issue, he had a, he's an older brother, and he, he could sneak us into a couple different joints. We go to the Psychedeli and we see shows at University of Maryland because he was able to get us into those. So we saw the Slicky Boys. Yeah, Black, I was going to say Bad that's Brains, the other band, Slicky Boys. Like that. You would put Bad Brains? They're a little after, though, right? They actually they, they started early, early. Well, the version we know, right? Because Gary, uh, Dr. No told me that, yeah, he was actually the bass player. They were like a fusion band. Correct. Yeah, they, they they were like a fusion sort of jazz band, and then yeah, you know, jazz fusion. That's what he said. Correct. Yeah. Well, that, well, I saw them. You know, I didn't see that 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 particular set, but I saw them. You know, early on, they really weren't playing any any reggae at all at that point. It was really fast. It was great. Uh, HR would do his backflips um, on time. Oh yeah, it was just incredible. <laughs> Yeah, to land on your feet on the downbeat. I mean, Jesus yep. Christ. Uh, yeah, I got to do a lot of gigs with him. But to me, Slicky Boys and uh, Root Boy Slim, yeah, they were... But I guess, because I had somebody on the show that did, a, a couple of months ago, did a DC documentary mm -hmm. about this kind of period. It was more proto-punk. Yeah, it's before the disc, like you're saying, before Discord. Before hardcore. And, and that's the stuff that really got me excited about music in the first place. I mean, it actually, it's seen the Slicky Boys. You, if you had ever seen them live or if you see some early videos of them, 
because you can find it on YouTube, you could see how much fun they had on stage. And when I saw that, I was like, I'm going to learn to play an instrument. I'm going to form a band because I want to do that. Look how much fun they're having. And that I was able to get Marshall Keith from the Slicky Boys, you know, all these years later to play on my album. You know, yeah, to yeah. me, that was like totally coming around full circle. I mean, same around the same time I heard, you know, the, the first Generation X album and to get Bob Druid Andrews to say yes to play on my album here. You know, it's like, man, it's like bringing back the guys who totally inspired me in music, really, to, for, to form a band to play on this. You yeah, know, that's a rockin'. Was it? Government mule, a John Stab thing? No, government issue. You're thinking government of. Yeah. issue. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Government mule's a different band. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I recorded a song with those guys. Yeah, and it was like some creeps. <laughs> yeah, it's a different band. <laughs> they lost their bass player, and they asked me to do like a, a medley with them. Yeah, I meant government issue. Of right, course, of course. And I, I played with them in '83, but I, like, I've known all those guys like way before. And like the first like legless bully P. I'm 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 there on backup vocals and I and I do that big moo you know in a cowboy fashion, uh, so so I, but it wasn't until you know a couple of years afterwards that I get to join the band. You know after Artificial Peace broke up, um, later on I, I joined Government Issue and went out on their U.S. tour uh, in '83. Yeah, because was, there was a lot of different ver- right. John had a lot of guys play with him. Oh, yeah, there was, uh, I don't know how many bass players played in GIs over the years, but a lot. <laughs> a and, lot. And by the way, we got to tell the people we lost John Stapp. I mean, that, he was clearly an individual, you know, but in a lot of ways, he was like the old days where the scene was so small and it was full of individuals. But cancer killed him a couple of years ago. Yeah, he'd actually, it's his birthday tomorrow. Sunday. Oh, he good cat. You know, Very much. I was always a fan of his stuff and kind of a, like a Tesco V. And no, I shouldn't say that, but kind of funny, funny man. He, well, we had a guy over here in SoCal uh, named Black Randy. Kind of mind me a little bit. Yeah, you're not uh, not not afraid to like uh, self criticize. Oh yeah. Yeah. So look, we're at the end of the first hour, uh, July 11, 2020 edition. Peter show. Special guest, Rob Moss, hold tight for our two. July 11, 2020, it's the second hour of the Lot for Pedro show. Oh, no. 
show we started the second hour off with uh, rob moss skin tight skin doing pushback and round eye from shanghai with your so fucking cool new uh, record billy stevenson uh senate drummer man mixed that magnetic hearts uh with mccure chrome chris burns wasted and wanton live uh baby grub from midnight bomber with bombs at midnight <laughs> it's chris ruskin knoxville that name is a trip. I guess it's a cartoon character. He told me. Uh, Chicos Raros uh, uh, from uh, Barcelona with Get Gran. Yeah. Big Handsome. And then Rob Moss, Skin Tight Skin with a Maltese Falcon. Which uh, I remember Sidney Green, Green Street, right, with the knife and it's lead. He's pissed off. Mm. Him and uh, Peter Lorre. Correct. Yep. <laughs> yeah, great, uh, great fucking movie. And um, yeah, so okay, we sh- so you start talking about who's on this record. So let- let's fucking talk about getting the record together in the first place. I mean, sure. Okay, what was the little seed that planted in your? <laughs> how did it happen? I mean, right away. Okay. No, I understand how it happened because, by the way, you you wrote me asking. Uh, to ask James Williamson or something, or, or Nels Klein also. Correct. So I know you were out fishing, but I mean, what was the, 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 the seed, the thing that germinated the idea of making a record with different people? Okay. That's what I well, think. it's kind of multifold, but I, I hadn't played an instrument. I hadn't been in a band since 1983. I, I hadn't touched a bass probably since 1985 or six, maybe. Um and a few years ago, I, I said, I want to learn how to play guitar. So I, I got a guitar and taught myself some covers and then went immediately back to writing because I, I wrote most of the songs for Artificial uh, Peace. You, some covers. Yeah, I started doing, I, I taught myself covers just yeah, to but, learn how to uh, play guitar. Yeah, but uh, I want to know which ones. Oh. Um, dolls? Excuse me? Dolls? Uh, I'm trying to think of any dolls. More like kind of classic rock stuff. Oh, Okay. Well, but, well, well, that first tune, uh, it's got some little Night Ranger dually guitar in it. I got my ass done. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> if that's what you mean. Yeah, I was, but, I was just curious because you yeah. know, in the old days, that's how we learned. You you copied off records. Sure. So, uh, but I went right back to yeah, starting. Yeah, but Rob, right Rob, I got to tell yeah. you, when I met dudes in the punk scene like Greg Gann, mm-hmm. these guys never copied off records. Yep. It was a whole different thing. Yep. Now, when now I, I asked it. Pat Smear if he listened to anybody, he said Queen. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so not everybody was the same, of course. Okay, so you teach yourself guitar. Yeah, and, and I and I, I literally play some. I write some songs. I use my my phone to make a video of me playing guitar by myself in my basement. I put it on my Facebook page. A couple of these, and a friend of mine says, you know, if you want to turn these into real songs, record them at my studio. You know, want, come on over. 
So I said, sure. So I had to write lyrics now. And we had a, a friend who's a drummer who played on the first couple sessions. And then we found a couple of different other drummers, including Spit Sticks but later that, on. You knew this then, guy. You, the connect yeah. wasn't fake. Look, you put a, a video there, but he already knew you. Yeah, we knew each other, okay, but okay. I put a, but I put, I just, for the hell of it, I just put I don't want to give that guy too much credit for making any fucking happening connections. Well, <laughs> what, he, what he did is he gave me the opportunity to come into a real studio no, not your buddy. I'm talking it. about the clown who owns Fake Look. Oh, fuck that. I'm, I'm not talking about That's it, what I'm no. trying to clear up. That's what I'm trying to clear up, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you yeah, already yeah, had yeah. to connect with your buddy. Yeah, And correct. Spit Sticks, yeah. people, you got to... I know he teaches drums up in Portland. He does. And uh, he's the drummer man behind the real version of Fear. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. So, but one of the things is I literally had just taught myself to play guitar... And then went into writing songs, and I'm like, okay, I, I can get away playing rhythm guitar, and I can tr sort of sing, but I can't play lead guitar at all. So, I, and I wanted someone really good to play on these, and it would be a huge ask to get one guy to you know play on you know 14 songs and maybe become a touring band, maybe not. So I thought it'd be a lot easier just to ask one guy to play on one song. So that's why I was able to get you know all these guys like you know, Bob Derwood Andrews and you know, Marshall and Billy Lesugian, um, Nels Klein, thanks to you and, and others who uh, said, okay, one song, I can do that. And that's how I got all these, you know, great guys to, to play also my Also technology album. now, we can trade files. Correct. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, 1983 with John Stab, hard to do. Very much. <laughs> You'd have to be in the room with him. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I mean, there's people like one of the guys, he's in Rome. Who recorded you know the piano on one of the songs uh actually it's francesco wow. you know him from incredible, band. incredible piano man yeah he's a roman uh, yeah. guy and I, I just love his playing francesco look i want to play ugly chair <laughs>
Vince Maroney.
ask the question, is having, you know, is having three martinis too much? Well, if you ask the question, that means it's probably too much. <laughs> Red wine, a little smoke, 
cold shoulder.
song took a little doing to get, but Nancy Sinatra put out, so we got it. The song's called My Boots Are Made for Walking. We're hatched now. You can cut off the incubator. Sauna night. I think Jello and Henry already did that. I have to do something different. And you had a hot tub on stage. Why for Pedro Show? Ugly chair. Rob Moss's skin tight skin. Skin tight. You know what? Skin tight was the actual title to uh, Shake Appeal. Oh really? I wouldn't shit you, Rob. I know you wouldn't. And there's also a Susie Quattro song, Skin Tight yeah, well, Skin. Well, Maybe that's why he changed. I don't know. But I asked Ig once about that because, man, that is a monster lick. Mm-hmm. And I remember Jay Masters told me it was a little too rockabilly. But <laughs> I, I, th- I thought it was a monster lick. Anyway, uh, when I asked Ig, he said, Mike, Little Richard. You know, I got, mm-hmm. It's a straight from the well right there. Ugly chair, Rob Moss, skin tight skin. Tight pants. That was the name of the fucking song. It was tight pants. It wasn't skin tight. Okay. Okay. It was tight pants. And then it became Shake Appeal. There was a few of uh, Stooges songs that had other titles that I got to learn. You can imagine me hanging around those guys. I asked them about 10 billion questions. Finally, the youngest guy in the band. No, no. Red and the Black with the Nels Klein on lead guitar. No, it ain't. This is Tom Watson. It's, it's the year after. 
1999, the exit in in uh, Nashville. Got to thank JB for getting his buddy, I think Frank, to flow that. A Blue Oyster Cult song. Red and the Black, me and D. Boone started playing that when we were 13. Pro, uh, Providence, after that, Dan Klukas. No D, Providence, right? Like, who owned this shit? Jeb Bishop, Damon Smith, Matt Crane. Uh, Peter Lochner from the old Cleveland scene. It takes a lot to laugh. Red Wine from Scott H. Burham. Lewis Cole with Clouds of Flies. <laughs> That's an image. A New Hard Folk with Harder Than You. And then uh, you got uh, you with the government mule doing uh, Lee Hazelwood, uh, Nancy Sinatra. In fact, uh, he's the cover. Uh, the boots are made for walking. Yeah, well, well, John gives a little intro. Yeah, explaining it. Yeah, that was recorded at CBGB's in yeah. 1983. Yeah, the, the the tour you did. Correct. Yeah, the infamous tour where you never <laughs> wanted to play music again for a long time after. <laughs> No, no. Other shit probably came out in your life, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. But you got, that's the thing about fucking music, right? You can always go back. You can always start whenever. Joe Biza, you know, Sacred Trust, he's 27 years old when he started guitar. He was an uh, artist, a uh, painter. Mm -hmm. I think Vincent uh, only painted his last 10 years of his life. He didn't paint as a kid. Hmm. So, you know. I, I don't think it's ever too late or or to start or or go back revisit. Correct. Even with reading, you know, I read Ulysses, Jim Joyce, in my twenties, and I read it again in the forties. I'm glad, you know, same words, right? Mm -hmm. Completely different reads because, well, obviously, I was in a different place. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, what about your writing thing? Well, I I wrote a book called Descending Memphis. It's sort of like a coming-of-age detective story set in 1956 Memphis. So, it, of course, it's got, you know, early rock and roll in it. And, you know, as uh, there's a number of cameos, you know, people who were, you know, real people who were in there. And I was able to uh, get in touch with people in both Memphis and Nashville who were there at the time, um, you know, who were either musicians or some who, who worked, you know, in, uh, you know, management, um, and so forth. And I, I would just ask them, I would get on the phone with some of these people and ask them all sorts of questions. So I did, I did a whole lot of research and reading before writing the book. So, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of the locations are, are real places and, and so forth. Um, and the, uh, the sort of mystery that gets solved kind of hinges is on some, you know, real things that happened to some degree. Um, but, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the story. Did you read Tav's book on Memphis? I did. I have it. I have a signed copy, too. Well, he writes himself into all that shit. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> like, he's there 100 years ago, right? He's at the plantation or whatever the fuck. Actually, I think the first Panther gig was at a, a, a former plantation. Right. He told me something like that. But that book is so wild that way. All of a sudden, sure. it's, it's Tav. Yeah, he's there like all through the various years doing yeah. all these things. It's, it's right awesome. That, you know, the on his motorcycle. Hour. Yeah, on his motorcycle. And then there's that other cat, too, that union guy on his motorcycle. Maybe an Indian. Uh, we're yeah. at the end of the second hour, Ju uh, July 11, 2020. Dish what? Peter Show. Hold tight for hour three. July 11, 2020, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro Show. Most times you meet a gal, and shorter than you do. 
is the story of what it does. What happens? The honeymoon is over. Guys, I love the bright and the red. Fong kitty, when you appeared on my clouds, just a thing. What did I do to get a girl like you? Kind of a little guy like me can be with a girl like you.
Let me hear you, let me hear you, let me hear you. 
When I smile, it doesn't mean that I'm fine. I won't tell of you. I want to 
Pedro Show start off the third hour with Real Fine Kitty, Rob Moss and Skin Tight Skin for his wife. Crane, different than that uh, Matt Crane guy last hour, doing Tomorrow Will Be There, Paul Jacobs' brother, Dream Phases, Tell the Truth, this is some uh, Nomad Eel stuff, uh, Pedro label. Mother's Life, Black Moon Tapes, Zigzags, Scavenger, Live on KXAU, and then Life at 33 and a third RPM. Rob Moss and Skin Tight Skin. Have you ever thought about writing a 33 and a third? You know what I'm talking about, this series? No. What are you talking about? There's a series of books called 33 and a Third. Where, I'm not familiar. Well, this is what will happen. They, uh, every every title is a different author. And what there is, is like you, you concentrate on one record. Make a whole book about, you know, mm-hmm. First Stooges album or something like that. Trout Mask Replica. And there was one for uh, Double Nickels on the Dime, Michael Fourier uh, wrote. So I, I was going to ask you, like, if, 
you were going to make a book about a, an album. Hmm. Well, album would I choose? Yeah. Uh, you know, top of my head, Willie Alexander and the Boom Boom Band's first self-titled album came out on MCA in 1978. It was a record that people then who knew them thought was going to break them, make them huge, and it didn't. And it's an amazing album. It, it's such a great record. That's like Bob yeah. Crosby now with Captain Beefheart, right? They're going to be bigger than the Beatles. Yep. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, it's, I think it's kind of hard to know who's going to really. Yeah, I, I actually, that album, I found it. I was living in, in New York. There was a guy in my building who was who worked in the music industry, and he got lots of promo albums and other stuff. And he would just keep chucking records out in the basement by the garbage cans every now and then. And I'd go down, you know, I'd scoop up the good stuff and trade in the crap. And and one of the records was that Willie Alexander and the Boom Boom Band album. And it had been out for some years, but I had never heard it. And I bring it upstairs to my room, and I put it on, and I'm blown away, especially the second song, Rock and Roll 78. And I'm thinking, wow, this is just amazing. The opening of that song, Billy Lesugian playing you know, his solo over uh, Willie Alexander's piano, it just, it still brings the hair up on the back of my neck. And when I started making my wish list of guitar players to play on my album, I found Willie on, I'm sorry, I found Billy Lesugian on, uh, on Facebook. And I didn't know him, but I sent him a note. Oh, there we go with another connect. <laughs> yeah, connect. And he he was like he replied, you know, love to give it a go. Actually, the connect goes way back to your buddy that worked in the industry, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I suppose he, he used to manage the band Prong, among other oh, things, yeah. right? I but I never guys. told him, hey, all those records that you're tossing, I'm I'm saving the good ones and, and trading in the rest. I I figured I'll just let him keep doing it. <laughs> so. They were cutouts, right? Some were cut out. Some had like, you know, promotional use only because he would get yeah, all these albums there was a from huge, people. Yeah, there was a huge corruption thing on that, right? Yeah. So so, so, th so that's how I first heard that album. That's how I first heard that guitar player. And that whole album is just amazing. And so if, to go back, you know, if I was to write a book about an album, which I think probably has an incredible story behind it, it's that, it's that album. Now, now, what about, why didn't you get Willie to do piano? You know, because we, good point. answer me this, Rob. Yeah. Isn't originally rock and roll piano music, not guitar music? That, the guitar came later. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it comes out of Boogie Woogie Piano. Yeah, yeah. So, back to the other question. Why, why no Willie <laughs> on this record? <laughs> well, because I'm saving them for like when I do volume oh, two. Okay, okay. <laughs> Stupid one. Okay. Here, I want to play There's My Ride. You're my red leave this place. Restart the human race. Let's ride on counting the dial. Let me ride, I'll see you around. Yeah, I'll see you around. Baby, I'll see you around. Maybe I'll see you around. Time to get away, time to get out of here. Time to get away and leave all the gear. Time to get away is all that I'll need. If I can't go now, then I'll stay home 
Watt for Pedro show, just talking about the, how the guitar made it in there for rock and roll. A little more portable to bring around because they didn't have the uh, Casios yet. And then they also had to hide Elvis's dick. I think uh, Bill Black, the bass man, did. Can you imagine rock and roll with no drums? But uh, yeah. Scotty sort of Moore, awkward, right? right? Yeah, he would slap on the neck, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, probably Larry Graham picked up on that maybe to come up with this thing. Uh, we, we, we heard There's My Ride, Rob Moss, Skin Tight Skin, and uh, Galact- Galactasy. These guys talking about, you know, making lemon, lemon lemonade out of lemons. And during this lockdown, they've made eight albums. They, they live out in Joshua Tree here in the desert. <laughs> eight albums! Jeez. <laughs> so, hope that makes everyone feel real guilty for wasting fucking time, motherfuckers. Okay, and finally, Babel Tower. Yeah, what other kind of tower is there? <laughs> Rob Moss and Skin Tight Skin. Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about maybe somebody to be in a band to play gigs with. Well, you don't really have to worry about that now. Not right now. Or maybe streaming. Yeah, that yeah, could happen. Yeah, but, uh, doing that. but uh, when did the, re- the record just recently came out, right? Yeah, about two months ago. Oh, two months ago. Okay, so we're a little late. Yeah, because, you know, I've been doing three shows a week. <laughs> and I have to book way out now. And, <laughs> It ain't bad. I ain't complaining. I, didn't, uh, I, didn't I ain't say, either. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I'm bellyaching. So a couple months ago, ain't it trippy when you get a record done that you're ready, to, you know, and all the work that went into it and everything, and it's, but then it's ready, let's do it again, right? Mm. So you're already thinking of volume two. Well, yeah. Oh. Willie on piano, of course. <laughs> you heard it here first. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, for this baby here, as you were learning guitar. More or less, yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, you said you learned some, you copied some stuff off records, but as you were learning, you were writing. I, I'd i rather write my own songs than play someone else's. So I said, if I'm, why, instead of trying to do that, I'll just write my own songs. They're more fun to play for me. So that's what I did. Now, now what about demo? What about demo? Uh, like I had Boris on the show Wednesday. They told me they don't do demos. They just improvise in the studio, and that's what happens. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I would write the songs and... Well, I understand the lead guitar guys. I mean, they came yeah. in, they had to hear the songs, right? Right, yeah. We would we'd send them, uh, you know, a, a rough mix that was dry that they would, you know, play back to to record. Did your studio buddy play on this? Yeah, he play, uh, he, yeah, he, Dwight Reed. He plays bass on all the tracks. Okay, okay. okay. Oh, so you didn't compact, play any bass. You, you you abandoned bass all the way for this. Yeah, I'm, I haven't played bass in years, so now no, but not I, even I, for I'm the playing record. rhythm guitar. That's all I can play. I can't play. I can play some really bad scale leads, but I won't, I won't do that. I'll just no, I'll just play my power chords. I'm not that interested in that. I'm more interested in you abandoning bass guitar. <laughs> well, I, <yeah. laughs> no, no. no, look, it's okay. Okay, come on, it's all. Let your free flag fly. Whatever device you got to have in your fucking hands or your mouth, you know, it might end up being a coronet uh-huh. if it was a coronet. That's right. <laughs> it, it started there. <laughs> it start. You know what I mean? Because it's sort of like the pen knife. I was reading this thing about the art in, in a knife, a pocket knife. Mm-hmm. It's what's going to be carved with that fucking knife. That's where the art is. Yeah. Yeah. So same thing with a rhythm guitar or a bass guitar. Uh, lead guitar. You know, Nels Klein sometimes works those motherfuckers with whisks and ray guns, toy ray guns. He, I've seen him be so unorthodox. That's okay. Yep. You know you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Whatever it takes, right? 
to get to get the sound, whatever yeah, it takes. Or, exactly. Or feel or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Because we already got enough rerun shit, so why not venture, you know, to unknown or whatever? Mm-hmm. And when you get this volume two going, will you come yeah. back on the show? And well, we, of course. And, yeah, I and mean, can we talk about it? Of course. Thanks so much for being on the show, Rob. Really big honor for me to. What about you? Got a book plan? Uh, well, my original plan was, for the book was to do a trilogy. So the first one takes place in 1956, and I was going to have the protagonist Tommy Rodine, you know, do be on another one in the, in the 1960s. So he's in another point in his life. He's now in his 30s, and of course the music has changed in Memphis. And then the third book would be in the 1970s, and you know he's dealing with other issues in his life and different types of music. Is and he a whole still new in Memphis? Yeah, there's so much okay, going on. Okay, okay, in the 70s in Memphis, Ardent Studio. Yeah, ZZ Top, Trace Ombres. There's lots of great stuff going on there. The, but will I have time to write these other two books? I don't know. <laughs> okay. But they're in my head. But you know what? If you get the book done before the next record, come on the show and let's talk about that. You don't know how much reading influences my music. So I'm a big fan of literature. Yeah, well, that's how Iggy Pop, you know, I think when he's writing his lyrics, he, he would read, actually, it was like detective novels. He wanted that, you know, sparse, bare to the point stuff and, and that's what that influenced them a lot I've, I've heard i use it for the music part so it's not as easy to rip off other people's licks Ooh. yeah because you have to like kind of uh go through a layer of uh abstraction yep okay people july 11 2020 edition what for pedro show keep your powder dry <laughs>